Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, April the 10th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones. I am joined via Skype by healthcare guru, Todd Campbell. Todd, how are you? Hi, Shannon. How are you doing today? I am doing well, thanks. I'm super excited for today's show. We're diving into one of the hottest areas in terms of investments in the biopharma space. That's none other than the gene. So we're going to kick things off talking a little bit about the latest billion-dollar partnership deal. And then we'll be serving up three top genomic stocks that every listener should at least be watching, if not adding, to your portfolio Todd, let's just kick things right off from the beginning. This billion-dollar partnership deal, really not necessarily a new deal. I would consider it more strengthening a deal between two massive players in the space. First off, Alnylam Pharmaceuticals, that sticker symbol ALNY, um, best known for their gene silencing platform, which we'll talk a little bit more about. But they announced they'd be strengthening their partnership one of the, with one of the most profitable Drug makers in the S&P 500, that's Regeneron, ticker symbol REGN. Todd, interestingly enough, analysts actually seem to like the deal, seems to make sense for both. But the market wasn't necessarily uh, cheering for this deal. Immediately after the news came out, uh, Alnylam was down about 3%, Regeneron down about 2%. Todd, what's the deal with this deal? Yeah, it's a big collective yawn by Wall Street investors on the deal, despite the size. And I think that just may be reflection. Well, there's there's an issue that we'll get to later on as we're talking about this that has to do with Sanofi. But I, I think it may also just be, you know, a lot of investors get involved in some of these biotech companies because they're hoping for that big buyout. Um, and every time a licensing deal gets done, it's like, oh, all right, well, I was hoping that deal would be for lock, stock, and barrel, not just for for a few programs. So let's dive in, right? We'll talk, let's talk a little bit about the deal. Let's talk about what it is that Regeneron's hoping to do here with Alnylam. Alnylam, it, probably the best way of thinking about it, if you think of the DNA as being the warehouse, uh, RNA is the delivery person. It's the UPS or the FedEx, if you will, of the genetic instructions used to create proteins, oftentimes in genetic diseases, uh, the overproduction of uh, proteins contributes to them. So Alnai Lam has developed a platform. They've been around a long time, Shannon. They've been around since 2003. They developed this platform that uses something called siRNA to silence um, or interfere with the expression of, of that messenger RNA and thereby prevent um, protein production in, in, as a way of, of targeting or improving outcomes for patients. As I mentioned, they've been around a long time, but Shannon, they've only have one drug that has you know passed the gauntlet, if you will, and that's on Patro, which is used in, in a relatively small indication called HATTR amyloidosis. And that's a relatively small market. And that that only put up about that drug put up about twelve point one million in sales. Yeah, twelve point one million in sales in the fourth quarter. So, you know, they've been around a long time. It's a really fascinating, exciting technology that they're working on, but it's very complex. And what Regeneron is hoping is that by taking their experience in monoclonal antibodies uh, and <clears throat> Alnylam's experience in RNA interference and merging the two together, that they'll be able to go out and develop better therapies for eye disorders and central nervous system disorders. 
One of the reasons why I think this deal makes a lot of sense is so you talked about Regeneron. They've had this antibody approach, really going after these targets outside of the cell, whereas Alnylum has really been about inside the cell, as you mentioned, the RNA. And so as a collaboration, this deal between the two, it really kind of makes sense because this is really about uh, finding more targets, identifying early candidates early on for this pack. Let's talk a little bit about the deal. Regeneron paying $400 million up front, buying Alnylam equity uh, as another $400 million there at $90 a share, $200 million in early milestones. This deal also includes a series of programs with 30 targets over the next five years with an option to extend, of course, Regeneron also hands over $2.5 million every single time Al Nylum initiates a program and another $2.5 million for identifying promising leads. So a very uh, heavy front-loaded deal. Um, I think all in all, though, it's very interesting, very compelling. And honestly, for Al Nylum, this couldn't have come at a better time. You mentioned the one drug that they have on the market on Patro. Um they really have needed a cash infusion as they wait for sales to really ramp up for that drug. Now they're getting that with this particular deal uh, to, to keep things going. Also, in addition to the cash, just validation of their tech platform. They already had a partnership deal looking at NASH targets, a fatty liver disease um, with Regeneron. This just beefs up that partnership for them. And really, Alnylam is getting access to Regeneron's just treasure trove of genetics. And I think that's really what this deal is about. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting deal. You mentioned the equity stake. I think it's important for investors to know that's pretty much right where the shares were trading. So <clears throat> it wasn't to a premium or anything like that. And maybe that's one of the reasons, too, that you know investors kind of yawned. It's like, oh, well, you didn't buy it lock, stock, and barrel, and you're not paying a premium for the shares that you bought. They're going to own somewhere between 4 and 5% of Alnylam when it's all said and done. Regeneron's going to take the lead on any eye disorder drugs that the two develop. Alnylam will collect uh, milestones and royalties on those drugs. That makes sense to me, right? Because Regeneron markets Ilia, which is mega blockbuster drug over 5 billion in annual sales so you know they always have a lot of experience within the eye disorder area uh, the two are going to alternate leadership on anything that they develop for CNS disorders so one will take the lead and then the other one will take the lead and then both will have the option to be able to share equally in the profits if any of those drugs ever do make it to market. And then, of course, they're also doing a little bit of work on um, some liver targets. Um, they didn't get into a whole heck of a lot of detail on that, but they are going to take one of Regeneron's existing drugs that's in phase one and run a combination study with one of Alnylam's existing drugs that's already in phase two and see whether or not you know they have some success there in that um, in that combination trial, uh, Regeneron will be the one that's taking the lead, and Alnylam has a chance to get royalties on that, too. <clears throat> you mentioned the influx of, or importance of cash. This company spends, Alnylam spends, a lot of money on R&D. This is expensive research this company is doing. This will boost, however, their cash on their balance sheet to about $2 billion, which certainly gives them... Uh, uh, some some financial wiggle room, so investors don't have to worry about uh, about the lights going out anytime soon. There, we talked a little bit about timing for Alnylam, and I love the term that you used for this, Todd. You said they renegotiated their deal with Santa Fe. <laughs> um, I think for all practical purposes, it sounds like they're pretty much ending this five year pact. 
that they have. Granted, there is a lot of negotiation because there still be some ongoing royalties and uh, the ability to commercialize some products should they actually move forward in development. But uh, it's just interesting on the heels of ending this pack with Santa Fe, they've got now this strengthened partnership deal together. Another interesting thing to me, too, here, Todd, is that you see here both of these companies are opting to work together, not necessarily one buying out the other or even waiting for a big pharma player to come and take one another out. Do you think that this is kind of a changing of the tide where you'll see more of these stellar biotechs partnering rather than one going after the other? No, I think it's expensive stock. I mean, I think it's trading between market caps between nine and ten billion. Uh, that's a lot for a company that generated out twelve million in revenue uh, from in net product sales, I should say, in the fourth quarter. So it could very well be that you know, yeah, this is exciting research, but even with on Patro, there's still enough questions of whether or not um, you can develop blockbusters using this approach. Uh, so maybe that's just a safer way for Regeneron to get involved. The thing that's interesting, and one of the reasons I think the stock did not make it really any headway yesterday, was that as part of that Sanofi renegotiation, uh, basically the ending of their five-year development deal, um, code collaboration deal, they did agree to get rid of the lockup uh, period associated with the shares that Sanofi owns in Al Nilam. And that's not an insignificant amount of shares. They own about 10%, Sanofi does, of Al Nilam as of December 31. So if Sanofi starts to to unload or unwind those shares, that could create some headwind to the stock price. And, and maybe some investors were a little bit cautious or worried about that, on top of the fact that it, it you know, indicates that Santa Fe has no interest in buying Al Nylam lock, lock, stock, and barrel. And Santa Fe has a long track record of ended, some would say failed partnerships along the way. So not terribly surprising uh, here, but a lot to watch, especially with that lockup um, now no longer being an issue. We'll have to keep an eye on this one and definitely keep our listeners up to date. But let's turn our attention, Todd, to stocks. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, I want to make sure our listeners know that we are good podcasters here in the world of finance. And we're going to give you some stock ideas. So, we've got three top genomic stocks that uh, you should at least be watching, if not holding in your portfolio. Really covers the gamut of from gene sequencing to low-cost genetic screening to a biotech with some late-stage assets that could hit the market very soon. Let's start with the first giant. That is none other than Gene Sequencer Illumina. That's ticker symbol I-L-M-N. Todd, what makes Illumina so special in this space? Well, Shan, there's a lot of stocks that we could have chosen uh, to do this show and talk about genomics. Uh, very disruptive, rule-breaker-ish style um, stocks. Uh, and 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 we we're, we narrowed it down to three, but by far there, there's there's a lot of other uh, companies out there that were attractive and made it hard. One of, in any conversation that you have when it comes to genomics, you have to bring up Illumina, and that's because uh, you know by Illumina's number crunchers say that the, their machines have been used to do about ninety percent of all sequencing and discovery um, since since ever done. Um, so, I mean, that's just remarkable. And what we're talking about here is the ability to go out and sequence the actual DNA for each gene to be able to identify, better identify 
um, disease targets, traits, uh, anything that you can imagine. I mean, they, they're starting to think about ways that they can use this technology uh, to, to figure out what kind of wine you like. I mean, there's so many things, theoretically, that our genetics um, may uh, may be able to tell us or inform us of in the future. And Illumina is just a giant. It has the majority of the market share in this market for the systems that are used in gene sequencing. Matter of fact, last year, its sales were up about 21% uh, or 20, yeah, 21% to $3.3 billion. And, you know, as we've talked about in the show before, Shannon, we love companies that have kind of that razor and blade model, right? Where they're able to sell the machine but then on top of that, they're able to generate recurring revenue every single time that machine is used. And that is great because it means that you know you have some clarity into high margin revenue. And last year, sequencing consumable revenue at Illumina was up 23% uh, to $1.8 billion. So you know, this is a company that generates out billions of dollars in revenue in a market that continues to grow, and we're finding new, new, newer, newer ways of applying this information. So it's my expectation that you know, they'll be able to continue to, to deliver this kind of double-digit growth for a while. And the headline for Illumina is always about how it's been able to drive down the cost of sequencing. Their machines have been able to lower the cost from, you know, thousands of dollars to now it's below $1,000 for the first time. Illumina is hoping to take that down to $100 per sequence, which really opens up the door for just access, more affordable healthcare and research. And ultimately, Illumina is really about just not only cheaper, but also faster. So they've got short read sequencing. They also uh, had the acquisition with Pacific Biosciences in uh, late 2018. So they've got now the most comprehensive uh, sequencing portfolio out there. You mentioned 90% of the market. Their installed base is just massive and continues to grow. Um, You were talking a little bit about financials. It's interesting. Uh, They've been able to grow uh, revenue in 2018, 21%. They're actually for 2019 guiding a little bit lower. Uh, top line revenue expected to rise between 13 and 14%. So a slight slowdown, but it's interesting in that this would still mean this would be the 21st consecutive year of top line revenue growth, which is just all in all impressive. Um, they are continuing to invest and become even more innovative. About 20% of revenues goes back into R&D. This is a company that will be around for a very long time. Addressable market, I don't even think we have these stats to to adequately put a dollar figure on that, because as you mentioned, Todd, there's just so many areas. Consumer genomics, um, all this prenatal testing, there's just so much that they could be doing. This is a company that if we did not bring this up on the show, we would be doing our listeners a disservice, Todd. Yeah, the NovaSeq, which is the their most recent um, launch system, you know, that's barely even scratching the surface. They've got they've shipped six hundred of those systems uh, exiting two thousand eighteen. That was up from two hundred eighty five installed systems at the end of two thousand seventeen. And on their conference call, Shannon, they said that seventy five percent of their prior generation high seek installed base hasn't even taken a look yet. 
at NovaSeq. So they think that this is a, basically as a, an upgrade cycle that's going to create create tailwinds for multiple years. So yes, there's a slight deceleration, but you're also talking off of a much larger base. We're still talking about 13 to 14% top line growth. And because they have the scale now, they're a very profitable company. I think that you know they're looking for $6.07 or more this year in earnings on a gap basis, and that would be up from 556 last year. And then you mentioned really briefly the the PacBio uh, acquisition. That's great because you know Lumina is known for their short read uh, systems, which are fast and cheap. But you know increasingly people want to be able to do longer reads too because you know DNA can be complex and a lot of times it can include really long repeats and short read just doesn't work well with long read when, when there are long repeats. So now being able to take PacBio's technology and be able to market a product that allows you to say, hey, you can do both long read and short read depending on the situation or use of both of them together to get the deepest level of understanding. You know, you mentioned also the drivers, the total addressable market. You're right. We don't know. I mean, it's a huge market. There's billions of people on this planet, and most of them don't have any idea what their genetic profile looks like. Um, right now, in the short term, I would say that oncology gene sequencing for things like tumor profiling and liquid biopsy, those are big drivers. You mentioned prenatal testing and neonatal testing. That's very important, obviously. Um, and then you've got population sequencing. You know, A lot of countries going out there and trying to create these big databases, a treasure troves of information about their populations that they can use basically as their baseline. Illumina isn't cheap by any means, Todd. Right now, stock traded nearly 58 times trailing earnings. You're looking at over 40 times expected earnings. And even when you factor in growth over the next five years, you've got a PG ratio over two. So not cheap, but uh, I think we can both be in agreement here with a stock with such a long growth runway ahead of it. Uh, I'm willing to pay a premium here for a stock like this. Let's turn our attention to the second stock. And it seems like right now, just about every biopharma company has a gene therapy candidate in its pipeline, or at least seeking to gain access to one. But only a handful are nearing the approval finish line. Even fewer candidates have candidates that could potentially be blockbusters. The next stock checks all of those boxes, and that's none other than Bluebird Bio. That's ticker symbol B-L-U-E. Todd, Bluebird has potentially four drugs with an initial filing or launch by 2022. More importantly, multiple shots at those blockbuster opportunities. Todd, this is another company with a massive opportunity ahead of it. Yeah, one of one of the most successful pipelines so far. I say so far because again, you know, you have to get those regulatory approvals. But to have this many gene therapies that are in late stage studies and approaching for commercialization is pretty remarkable. And you know, we've already seen the value that is created by getting those genes, uh, gene therapies across the finish line. When we had the show not that long ago, when we were talking about. Uh, the bio to spark therapeutics. You know, as as just a refresher for listeners who are new to the show, we're talking about uh, using gene sequencing and gene screening uh, to identify the mutations that it can exist in their DNA um, that can cause or contribute to disease, and then the developing of um, payloads that can be delivered using inactivated viral vectors to specific spots. Of, of, of a person's body to be able to create a genetic fix, if you will. So, you know, one and done style of therapies, or at least very infrequently having to be given 
therapies, right? Um, you mentioned that everybody's involved in this. You're right. I mean, I, I think the last uh, data that I saw, there were about 2,000 clinical trials ongoing for gene therapies. And that's just, that's just remarkable. But as you said, there's not that many that have these uh, therapies that are very close to the finish line. The one that is most likely to get approved first for Bluebird Bio is a newly minted name, by the way, Shannon, Zinteglo. <laughs> I guess that's how you pronounce it. I haven't, I haven't gone in and looked. Would you agree with that, Shannon? You think that's Zinteglo? Maybe. I'm still going to stick with lentaglobin. Simple, easy. <laughs> That's what my brain yeah. is going to anchor to, Todd. <laughs> Formerly known as lentiglobin. Um, this is going to be a therapy that, if approved, will get used in the European Union in patients who have transfusion-dependent beta thalassemia. Uh, basically, these patients um, uh, have to take blood transfusions um, throughout the course of their lifetime, which can expose them to organ damage caused by iron overload. Uh, that's not a good thing. Um, they, there is the potential for these patients to receive stem cell transplants, but you know not everybody qualifies for those, and uh, there are a lot of risks associated with it. So the potential to be able to take a gene therapy, use it, lentiglobins and teglo, use it to be able to deliver a functioning gene that removes the need to have to get those transfusions is potentially game-changing for patients and for um, for actually the healthcare system, because theoretically, you know, if you don't have to give a transfusion every month, you're saving a lot of money over our patient's lifetime. And assuming lentiglobin gets approved in the EU, as you mentioned, uh, and also too in the US, it sounds like they're expecting to file by the end of the year, which means it could be on the market as soon as 2020 here in the US. But any positive read-through they get on beta thalassemia obviously is positive for sickle cell disease, which lentiglobin is also being studied in much bigger um, total addressable market uh, than beta thalassemia. So we'll certainly have to keep our eyes on that. But they also have a pipeline that is full of CAR-T, chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapies. CAR-T, as we have talked about a lot on this show, is really a way to take the body's own immune system, supercharge it, and target and fight cancer. So they've got BB2121, which is their CAR-T therapy Looking at multiple myeloma indication, that's expected to read out data later this year. If the results are good, this could mean a potential FDA approval also happening in 2020. And then they've also got BB21217 um, also in their pipeline that we'll have to, to keep an eye on. And then finally, we've got Lenti-D, and that's being studied for a rare genetic disorder. I'll just call it C-A-L-D. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that one, Todd. But smart, Shannon, smart. <laughs> this is also known as Lorenzo's oil disease. I think we've talked about it on the show before. Uh, really, right now, for those patients, the only treatment option is a stem cell transplant, which not everybody is eligible for, so a very high unmet need area there. All in all, Bluebird Bio... Multiple shots on goal, not just blockbuster opportunities, Todd, but even, as you would call it, mega blockbuster opportunities. Yeah, the multiple myeloma, Shin, is the one that gets me most excited because, you know, they teamed up with Celgene on that. And if there's no player out there in multiple myeloma that's bigger than Celgene. I think Celgene in 2018 racked up about $12 billion in that indication alone. So they obviously have the connections and the contacts and the experience of that industry to be able to get this um, drug in front of people and hopefully drive its use. If approved, BB2121 would 
begin being used in, uh, I think, fourth line or higher uh, trials underway that could make it use its use further earlier and earlier and earlier, theoretically could end up turning it into a standard of care someday if it's as successful as, as, as so far in trials it has been. We've seen overall response rates of about 90% for BB2121, and we should get an update on, uh, on trial data I would assume relatively soon. Wouldn't shock me if in June at ASCO we see something. Who knows? Um, you meant it, just going back to the the uh, European approval for lentiglobin. Um, they did get Chimp uh, advisory committee in Europe did approve uh, recommend for approval. Usually the approval comes within sixty days of that. So we should find out relatively soon whether or not that that therapy is going to launch. And then something people are going to have to keep in mind is. How are these drugs going to get priced, right? Because they're 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 one and done t- style of therapies, right? So you know, how, what's the portability going to look like? Are you, how are you going to track outcomes? Um, are you going to have payment programs that are going to last multiple years rather than just say, you know, pay me a bunch of money up front? Uh, all of these things are are solvable though, but something that you know people who are investing in Bluebird Bio want to be aware of. Yeah, very good points. Bluebird Bio right now market cap. $8.8 billion currently, company with no approved products on the market. But that could soon be changing here over the next year or so. And if these lead candidates are successful, this is a company that really could be worth a whole lot more. Uh, let's turn our attention to the third and final top stock idea. Um, we talked about cheaper gene sequencing uh, in regards to Illumina. But uh, for a company that is really about just building greater access to genetic screening. There's no company better poised uh, to do this than a smaller player on the list, and that's the company Invitae. Um, this is a company that's really kind of had a bumpy road along the way. A little over a year ago, Invitae hit an all-time low of $4.35 a share. Stock now up over $24 a share. Market cap just over $2 billion. I mentioned smaller player, but I think this is a company that's really been able to carve out a niche for itself, which I think bodes really well for the long term for this one. Yeah, you know, this is maybe the most rule breakerish of these stocks. You know, obviously sky high valuation, but massively disruptive technology. Their goal, Shannon, is to take something that would cost ten, you know, in the past tens of thousands of dollars to 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 screen a patient and be able to to figure out what kind of um, uh, predisposition they might have to disease or or what kind of treat might might work best in them, say for cancer or something like that, and drive down the cost of that test and those screenings at so low that everybody would be able to go out and have their uh, uh, have a, a genetic test done that tells them what their predispositions are. And, uh, and that's just crazy, right? To think that you could get this thing, a test down, so inexpensive that everybody's buying it like they, like they have their own, t- they buy a TV, right? Everybody would know it. And, and they're making some really, really big headway in the past year validating this concept, this ability to provide genetic screening to the masses. They've driven their cost of goods sold down below $250 a test. And, you know, if you look at the average of the of their test revenue last quarter, I think that they made slightly more than five they sold it for slightly more than five hundred per test. Company is not profitable though, because on an operating basis, they're still plowing a ton of money back into research and development and, of course, into the sales and marketing necessary to get out in front of people. But it does start to get to show you uh, a little bit about how 
you know, what the future could look like for this company kind of reminds me a little of um, exact sciences and how there were a lot of people that were naysayers about the ability of having, you know, basically this, um, you know, at home, go to the bathroom inside of a box, ship it to a lab for screening of colon cancer. A lot of people were were poo-pooing <laughs> that concept. And, you know, it, sure enough, they've been able to turn that into a very fast growing business, generating out hundreds of millions in, in revenue. And it looks like Invitae is is kind of being successful here in doing something similar in their own market niche. I mean, their revenue more than doubled last year. Yeah, so for 2018, triple-digit year-over-year growth, sales jumped 117% year-over-year to $148 million, uh, did more than 300,000 tests, and that's more than double the test volume they did the previous year. Um, expected to continue. You mentioned uh, margins. Gross margins did increase 46% year over year. So something I really like to see on a company that is attempting to scale for just comparison per- com- comparison purposes, competitors have gross margins hitting around about 75%. Um, if I can even just see a company like Envite, and of course that sticker symbol NVTA, even just push that needle to 50% um, over the next year, that basically means that they can continue to fund operations just based off of uh, sales and just improved efficiency overall. Um, one thing I want to watch here is that they're looking to launch a direct to consumer channel, where a patient can basically order a genetic screening test directly. Uh, That, of course, has its pluses and minuses, particularly when it comes to interpretation and counseling that should go hand in hand with direct-to-consumer genetic tests. We'll have to see how that goes, but if that opens up and they've got you know the regulatory okay to do that they've got the proper infrastructure in place to support it that could be a huge opportunity for this company too yeah, and 23andMe kind of paved the way a little bit in that, showing a way that you can do it because 23andMe includes um, health screening options in there. Um, and then, of course, you have disclosures that you have to provide to the patient and you have to make available um, um, you know, some, some amount of counseling or, or access to people um, uh, based upon what your genetic findings are. And so it'll be interesting to see you know, how they do it. But you mentioned 300,000 tests last year, double last double. 2017, they're looking for 500,000 tests this year. So not a doubling, but still pretty pretty darn significant. And that should push their revenue above 220 million. So you know, still tremendous amount of 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 sales growth coming in 2019. And then if you go to their their conference call, I always look through the conference call, Shannon, because I think it's just a, it's a treasure trove of information. And they you know they fully intend. This is what their quote is: We fully intend to reach one million people in 2020 alone, and one day billions of people on the planet. Well, you know, obviously that's an auspicious goal, but you know if they can deliver on one million in, um, tests in 2020, that would be pretty remarkable. Remarkable to say the least. So you've got a stock here, rapid growth, large addressable market, margins heading in the right direction. I think this makes it an easy case to add Invitae to the list that our listeners should at least have on their watch list, if not already in your portfolio. And Todd, I think we can safely say that we ended this week's show with plenty of stock ideas that check a lot of the boxes that we like to see as investors. And that'll do it for this week's industry-focused healthcare show. As always, 
people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan for Todd Campbell. I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.